0: Hitting revenue targets is hard and requires constant hustle. Last quarter's success is already forgotten. Learn the mindset and tactics of today's most successful revenue producers in B2B marketing and sales. We call this the revenue hustle. I'm your host, Tom Hessen, navigating you on this journey. Today's show is sponsored by Nine Lenses, an interactive assessment platform that enables you to add instant value to your buyers and allows your sales team to tailor business conversations focused on the pain points each and every time. Check them out at NineLenses.com. So this is Tom Hessen, the host of the Revenue Hustle podcast, and it is my distinct pleasure to bring Jamie Konzelman onto the, the Revenue Hustle. So Jamie, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hey, Tom. Happy holidays. Thanks so much for having me today.
0: Yes, thank you for taking some time out here in the busy end of year. I know there's a lot going on, ramping um, up the final push here, as well as planning for next year. So um, thank you for taking some time. Um, So I'm really excited about our conversation today. Jamie's got a tremendous amount of sales experiences. Um, So um, uh, just a little bit, right? Just a little. Um, And so currently, you're the vice president of sales in North America and Canada for Unisys. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, that's right. So I'm the regional head of sales for the Americas. So basically I see all sales for new logo, net new business, account growth, that kind of stuff.
0: Fantastic. And so um, we're gonna dive deep into Jamie's um, career as we go through the podcast. Uh, She's worked at a lot of professional service firms in sales leadership roles, um, which is certainly a sweet spot of mine having come from a professional service Background myself uh, before getting into software. But um, Jamie, you know how we do this. We do the revenue rules. What's your first revenue rule?
1: And I love this, by the way. So it's, it, it's, this is going to be a fun conversation. So, revenue rule number one in my book is that sellers who embody sales as service completely transform the buyer seller relationship.
0: Tell me more about that. I love that.
1: Sure. So, so to dig a little deeper, you may be, you know, you or in your listeners may have, be familiar with the concept of servant leadership or, yeah. or being a leader of other people and doing it from a place of service. When I think back to my entire sales career and the little nuggets or skills or attributes or ways of being that have made me most successful, not just in selling, but building relationships that really have the ability to last a lifetime. It's when i was coming from a place of service and so as i've moved up the ranks if you will you know leading you know larger and larger teams it's been this really cool space where i've been able to develop a framework called sales of service and so what that means is i work with my teams and coach and lead right whether you're new in sales and you're part of the inside sales team or even if you're senior when we come together we start to look at and break down and define a framework. What does it mean when you look at sales through the lens of truly a servant leadership mindset?
0: Wow. Well, I love um, the servant leadership framework just as, as, as a whole, just that idea. Um, but not all salespeople, I suspect, think about sales in that way. Right. So how did you see sales in that way instead of like, you know, you you think about transactional selling or, you know, I just got to get my logo and move on, right? Like there's just all this sort of, you know, bad impressions of sales, but how'd you come to that sales as a service mindset?
1: Uh, It's really been a journey. I mean, and it started when I first stepped into sales leadership or even before then, right? So I was an individual contributor running very, very large complex transactions, say that three times fast, right? the world of 100 million 500 million dollar outsourcing wow. deals right not, some, not for the faint of heart often a very long nine to 18 month sales cycle internal stakeholders external sales stakeholders and in reality was getting a little burnt out of, of some of the minutia of that um in my personal life i'm a kind of a self-help professional development junkie right <laughs> if you will Um, And I had taken a year long professional development class where most of the people were going through that to become certified executive coaches, right? Um, ICF, the whole, the whole nine yards. And it was through that program that I discovered who I was as a coach. So if you think about it this way, you know, 20 odd years as a single contributor, chasing the money, having a great time and my personal drive changing, and then discovering my passion for coaching and learning this modality of a language really around helping people. I had always had a passion for helping and seeing when I helped my customers, I sell more, but wow. hadn't developed this language around sales as service until I started first coaching other individual contributors, other sales leaders. Um, and then over the course of years, went from leading large complex deals to myself to growing a larger and larger team to the point where I now see myself as a coach first and have been able to help people not just elevate their sales. Like, that's great. Everybody wants to sell more, bigger deals, faster, right? And companies want to reduce attrition, keep their salespeople happy and have customers for life. And when I looked at the intersections of where I had been the most successful in those specific KPIs, it was always when I was firmly grounded in this place of truly serving a customer to borrow your word, right? Beyond any one transaction,
0: right? so that you're
1: you're sort of building these very deep personal relationships and there's other aspects to it, right? And so when I started to unbundle what those things were, I started to teach them and take people through trainings. And the coolest part for my own journey was that barrier separation between Jamie Kahneman now passionately coaching and teaching people and a 20 odd year sales career disappeared. And I'm now living and breathing a place where I get to coach and train others in really methods that have worked for me well and this framework of sales of service, and then watch others step further into their own personal power and sell more deals faster at higher you know, total contract value and have a lot more fun doing it.
0: Right. Well, there's so much to unpack there. That's so rich. Yeah. I mean, the idea that you know, I think one thing that I've learned is you can't convince the customer to do anything they don't want to do, right. right? And that's this notion of sales is like you're tricking people, or, or you're convincing them, or you're, you know, there's some sort of like sleight of hand where you're getting them to like, you know, do things against their will. I've learned a long time that that never happens, right? Like you can't, no, you can't dictate timing. You can't dictate, you know, a lot of different things. Um, and so the more that you align yourself to just help them buy or help them solve problems. It's okay. instead of you trying to push stuff, right. It just changes the, you know, like you said, the nature of the relationship, the, you know, the, the way you see yourself, the actions I'm sure you're going to talk about of how you change the way you speak, act, you know? Um, and, and so I'm, I'm, I just love that. Um, tell me a little bit about the framework that you sure. kind of organize the sales of service around it.
1: Sure. Um, and so it never comes from just me because that's part of, of what leadership is. Right. I, I see myself as a facilitator of conversations, whether it's with customers and we're and we're and stakeholders, either externally, outside the company or internally or with my team. All right. So it's typically a process. Like when I came to Unisys, like week one, I was like, great, when can I get everybody in the same room? And people kind of looked at me a little funny. They're like, well, they're sellers. You want to take them off the field and yeah, get them in right. the same room. And I said, we're not going to be successful individually until we are successful at the team. And that requires some time together. And so we got the team together and we walked through a series of exercises that I've facilitated both in large groups and small, where I ask a lot of questions. We do things like, what are all the attributes of the best leader, the best boss, the best professor, who's had the biggest impact on your life? And then vice versa, what's the worst? And what that opens up is this rich dialogue about what are these ideal characteristics that have had the biggest impact on ourselves professionally and personally, and then having lots of dialogue around that, and then turning it over to what would happen if we took those attributes and applied them to how we do our jobs. What do we think would shift with our customers, our prospects, and even within our own internal organization? So as an example, you've shared how, you know, coming from the software side and the services side, You've probably heard the expression that it is harder to sell internally than it is externally, right? Anyone in this type of services sales knows that. And if you don't sell services and you sell a product, really what that means is, you know, you can go find a customer or prospect who says, yeah, I'd love a proposal on that. Unisys, you're great at workplace services. Come give me a proposal. Well, in the services business, there's oftentimes a lack of resources, maybe internally, right? The expression is nobody keeps a bench. And so you've got to come in and run the gauntlet of why is that customer worthy of our resources and our time? And it's not because people are picky or they haven't done appropriate resource planning, but in the services world, it's often at least 1% of the total contract value in terms of an investment in time and resources to bid on something, right? So if it's a $100 million deal, right, 1% of that is what's going to cost us we have to be picky about what we go after because right. there are so many right, window shoppers, right? Oh yeah, give me a proposal, but they're never gonna buy. And so sellers in this business have to get really, really good about qualifying, understanding the value proposition that a customer has, what's really gonna make them buy. And at those dollar price points, it's not just a director and a VP, it's likely a board of directors. There could be an outside consultant. You might be talking about a stakeholder map of 25 people. Right right? And so if you have not done your due diligence and understanding all of those things, you won't get the resources. And there's nothing worse than going back to a customer who's like, yeah, I'd love a proposal from you. And you're like, I'm sorry, the powers that be said we can't do that, right? It's not the right time. We don't have the right resources. You're not the right fit, right? Because that burns bridges in the marketplace for, like, for yeah, years. Yeah. right? Yeah, right.
0: So wow. long example,
1: but that that's kind of where part of this goes, right? So if you tie that back to what your question was, well, how do you take this Ideal of sales a service and break it into functional pieces that are teachable, that are repeatable. It's not a just like leadership styles are not a one size fits all, right. neither is sales a service. It's about empowering sellers with a whole bunch of tools, giving them a safe space to practice things like authenticity, some skills in there. How do you have hard conversations? You know, just because a customer asks you for a proposal of X doesn't mean X is what they really need. So how do you right. empower a seller to say, Mr. Customer or Mrs. Customer, I know that's what you want, but hey, we've done our due diligence. We've read your strategic plan. We're following your stock. We're experts in technology and we think what you really want is over here in your blind spot. So I'm not going to get you the proposal for X until we can sit down with a few more stakeholders or I'd be doing you a disservice. Those are very difficult, very seasoned senior conversations to have, but if you break them down and teach people how to have those kinds of hard conversations to excavate the things that are unsaid, like Brené Brown says in leadership, but then do it within the sales arena, what happens is you go from this, I want to say very busy hamster wheel type of sale to a very rich deep conversation. And you get to suss out in a in a shorter time period if there's a right fit, but do it in a way where people feel enough psychological safety that they can actually share with you what the real problems are they're trying to solve. And that's not going to happen with a, you know, wham bam, thank you, man. Here's my proposal back and right, forth. Right, let's, right. Let's, let's trade emails and hope we get hit the mark, right? No, you actually have to right. do things, you have to slow down, right? You have well, to take
0: yeah. Well, I think I mean I think you're you, you know you started talking about like the internal and training of the sales rep, but then you then brought in the customer and the the implications of you know getting them to open up because you've now demon, you know you built trust right That's you right. you you showed that you're authentic and you really do have their best interest at heart. Whether they agree with you or not is a whole other conversation. But the fact that you're 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 putting your neck out there and saying you know I really do think you need this this and this, um, but you really you know it's hard to describe in words if you don't have those sorts of conversations like the rich deep conversations you're speaking about when you know the customer and you are aligned to go solve this problem together right you're you're able to um they see that you're working for them right looking out for their best interest rather than you know, hunting the commission check or, you know, however you want to describe that. And it's, it's just amazing. And, am you know, when you can get to those places, you're probably texting them, right. They're texting you, oh, absolutely. you know, they're, you're on a call with a group of people, they're texting you on the side. Like it just, that sort of relationship just translates the entire interaction because you've, you've, they know that you're working for their best interest, but it takes skill. It takes time to foster that.
1: 100%. Right. And, and, uh, part, you asked me earlier, what helped me kind of develop this model. And it's been so many different things over time. One of the biggest things I share with people, salespeople over and over again, if they haven't seen Simon Sinek's first Ted talk, start with why, which later turned into a book and is now pretty much a movement. People quote it all the time, right. he walks through a very simple model. Now he didn't create the model. It's the golden circle principle. And he talks about the three ways we think, right? Why, what, and how. And how it's a cross section of how organizations operate, right? If you think about any organization in the world, most people know on the outside what they do, their job. As you move up theoretically into management or or middle management or senior leadership, the higher you go in that organization, the more people know how that works, all the different pieces. And the best companies, right? The best leaders, maybe the CEO, your visionaries, right? they look at things why that deep intrinsic driver that drives companies. And I'm not just talking about a mission statement, right? What is the reason that companies exist? And I tell salespeople to watch it because part of that principle, Simon Sinek says, what separates the best companies, the ones that innovate over and over and over, the leaders who everybody wants to follow from everybody else? And there's one thing. Most of us communicate, if you think of that circle that I just talked about, which kind of looks like a dark bird, right? Two concentric circles, the, the what, yeah. the how, the why in the middle. Most of us, most businesses, most people, sellers communicate from the outside in. We sell a great product. It's got all these functions and features. It can really help you do this. They get to the how. And by that point, we've heard so many things, Right. no one gets to the why. And what happens is everybody's commoditized because it all sounds the same. But buying behaviors don't start from the outside in. The best leaders don't start from the outside in. They start from the why, the deepest intrinsic right belief. And this is not just a model that sounds cool. It's actually grounded in the tenets of neuroscience because that same con- two concentric circles that looks like a dartboard is actually a cross-section of our brain. And the very center part of the brain that controls buying behavior, that controls feelings, cannot process facts and figures and numbers. It's why when you like somebody or when you want to buy something, you're like, it just feels right, mm-hmm. right? That's science, that's the inside of your brain. We call it the guts, right? Or the intuition, right, you know, right, we can right. that how they're connected. But to bring it back to the best companies, cynic often uses the example of Apple. They are very crystal clear and they start from their why. Right, we believe in making innovative products that make people's lives better. Here's yeah. here's an iPhone, it does this, this and this, you wanna buy one. And when you actually go through the companies that do that, something really interesting happens, you feel it. You're like, yeah, I want that. Now, if they said, hey, here's a plastic box with lots of buttons and you can put apps on it and we change it in different colors and we're gonna have to put a new operating system on it every month, it's $1,400, you want one? <laughs> no.
0: Right, right,
1: right, right. And so when I take that model, And I started teaching it just, just, just watch TED Talk. It's 13 minutes. If it resonates, get the book, right? And if you book resonates, then take every one of your pitches and your client decks and the the way you speak to customers and flip it. Stop showing the slides with a million different things on it that nobody's going to remember. Most companies today, many public companies grow through acquisition. When I was at my previous company, there'd been 30 acquisitions in five years. Sellers would go into customers and be like, look, we're smart. Right. We have an MA department. And today you're going to talk to me, and I'm from this one. Tomorrow you're going to talk to this, one. and and then like eventually the customers will go, who are you? I, I just wanted to talk right, to ATO. right, not, right, right, right. But if you forget all of that, the hows and the whats, and you come in and you say, we believe technology, technology powers progress. I've looked at your 10K. I've looked at where you're missing in the islands, and I think I can help you get there by these three things. Can we have a meeting? It completely no, transforms the way you're having a conversation. You know, the Zig Ziglar back in the day said people don't buy, <laughs> people buy from their friends, right? People buy from people they like. Right. Well, Zig was clearly ahead of his time because here we are how many decades later and right. Simon telling us people don't buy what you do, they buy what you believe. And what you believe is grounded in why you do it. And when you wrap around why you do something from an authentic place of trying to serve meaning I'm not here trying to make my quota, but I've invested time in getting to know you to getting to know your company. And I am here to help you with potential solutions. Now you're speaking the language of service and you may not get that sale in that moment, but I guarantee you, you will establish a relationship that is built on trust. And that trust can last a lifetime.
0: Yeah. No, that is great. Um how has your team taken to this? So if if they've never seen the world like this, right? So you said okay. you were leading some workshops when you first joined Unisys, you know, I suspect there's a range, right, of people yeah. from this is stupid to like drinking from the Kool-Aid, right? Talk well, about you,
1: Yeah. I thank you for asking this. Um I, that's what I thought going into it. Right. And so we go back 18 months when I first started doing this first, did it with some inside sales folks and they're fresh out of college, bright eyed, hungry, eager to learn, you know, they graduated sales degrees. I didn't even know that existed. So they were safe, but I was nervous because I had not shown myself and my beliefs in the corporate setting in that way. And they loved it. I was like, this is great. And word spread. Then when I got promoted, we started doing with the insights or the senior business developers at, at Atos. I was nervous again, because I thought what you said, some people will go in, some people are going to think I'm crazy and it right. actually went very well. However, meaning people went all in, in a way I never imagined wow. every single person, but I still discredited that, um, warm reception or that willingness to learn. And maybe because of my own fear, I thought, well, of course they're going to go all in. I'm a former deal maker. I was one of the top sellers for the last ten years. They'll tell you, right. you know, they right. know they'll me. They'll do anything. They like yeah, me, right? They're my friends. Um, and so coming into Unisys was the first time I was now right now I'm the sales leader, and this is very senior sellers, right? I mean, most of these folks are are, are have, you know, so I've got someone on my team with her PhD in AI who sold thirty billion dollars of deals in IBM, right? I've got somebody else, uh, I mean, just who's come from from PE. I mean, brilliant, brilliant sellers. And I was thinking. Well, I believe this works. I think it's going to build culture. I think it'll help them make better. But I was petrified. Right. Call a friend the night before, petrified. Are they going to even like the slides? Um, And every single one of them went all in. I would say, right, like what happened, we say what happens in the room stays in the room. But I can say people had personal, deeply personal breakthroughs and shares. And people cried that I wouldn't have thought would cry because they were having that much of a reaction wow. experience that by the end of it, I've had people share that it was life changing. Wow. And I was just hoping I bring the people together and, and right and get to know everybody and form this cool, share something that's worked for me and encourage them to try it on like a jacket, right? Try it on. This is right. really well for me. If it doesn't work for you, it won't hurt my feelings, but please try it on so that we're all operating from a foundation right. of the same definitions, the same beliefs, the same values, and that will make us a team. And that was part of the context that I gave, giving people freedom that if it wasn't for them, at least they went all in for a few days. Um, and I'm still, right. still really in how much people that maybe I would have thought would have been, thought it was like kind of woo, right? I mean, put very senior people in a room and say, we're going to do different kinds of exercises around trust and big. Break wooden boards and
0: <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, right <laughs> and Sit in saying goodbye yeah,
1: yeah, right., uh, but everybody embraced it. and it may be timing, right? We are coming out of co two, you know calendar right. year, year three of covid. I, I really believe people are craving not just in the buyer seller relationship, but sellers and and people in corporate America are craving authenticity more than right. ever before right and 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 I do think that there is a I I don't believe in stereotypes, but when when we have the caliber of sellers that we have here at Unisys, they're open to learning. They want more things. People want to be better. Anything that makes them more effective at what they do helps them find deeper satisfaction in their job. Because let's face it, we all know sales can be a grind, right? right? I tell a lot of people the new logo hunting in service is not for the faint of heart if if you're not used to the baseball dynamic where you strike out more than you ever get contact, right. Not right. A sport for you. But if you can figure out what your dreams are, right. And the sales career helps you get there and we can learn some new things together as a group and we're all better for it. Um, then people really do go all in. And it's been wow. probably one of the biggest gifts in my career to get to watch.
0: Wow. Well, we could spend the entire podcast just on this topic. Um, which, um, you know, because I think there's just this, you know, this is just from like the inside seller perspective, right? We haven't even talked about like the implications to the customer and, and how they receive, right? We talked a little bit about like when, you know, you've kind of got there, right. Um, when you're, when you're in that kind of position with the customer and, and they are uh, opening up to you and, and uh, you know, cause I'm sure at deal sizes of the ones you're talking about, it's a whole different ball game in terms of, um, you know, people's, you know, their career could be at at stake if they make the wrong decision, right? Like it's, it's a big, yes, uh, it's a big, no, you know, big deal, right? Um, No pun intended there, but, but it's also significant to their, you know, do they get promoted? Do they get fired as a result of making these sorts of decisions? Um, So I can only imagine just uh, how guarded they may be, right? Uh, What they're willing to share, not share for their own protection or,
1: hundred percent. And I've never heard somebody frame it in that way, but you're right. The stakes are in the large deal world. The stakes are just as high, if not higher for all the stakeholders because it goes well, right. People get promoted. If it doesn't go well, you might need a new job. Right. And people, right. Don't, people don't talk about that. Yeah. And so it also underscores why that authenticity and building trust at the foundation of that relationship makes or breaks it in my opinion. Right? I'm sure there's somebody else out there who feels really wizardy and smart and can pull one over on people. But I got to think that that is a very short-lived career path.
0: Right. No, I agree. Um, well, great. Well, that that's a fantastic revenue rule. Let's, um, I know you've got a second one. I want to talk about yeah. that as well. So uh, give us your second revenue rule.
1: And I feel Ninny's do fingers, but revenue rule number two <laughs> is uh, hustle and heart will set you apart. And I coined okay. that because... Hustle can be a controversial word, right? And I'm sure we'll get into my background in a little bit. But but I think these days when we're so inundated with messages from the media, right, and everything tends to be a three rules, five quick five quick steps to lose weight, right? Right,
0: right. right.
1: <laughs> Slow down. I think hustling gets a bad rap. People are afraid of that, that burnout, right, of taking on too much. And so I, I wanted to find what hustle means to me. And why it's important in sales. And then, of course, the, the heart part, because I believe they go together. When I think of hustling, I think of it in the athlete mentality, right? I was not an athlete growing up. I wanted to be desperately. I was one of those chunky kids who used to, like, press my nose to the chain link fence and get the little eyes around uh. my eyes. Like, right. Mommy, why can't I play soccer? Right. And she's like, it's $5,000 for club and you'll play when you're older and it's free in school. Well, we all know how that works. Right. Right. If you live in a town where the kids play soccer since they're five, when you go out and you're 12 and you don't know how to dribble soccer right. ball, it's not going to work it's out. Hard. So well. But I shared that little story because in my thirties I became an endurance athlete. And today I have done about a dozen Ironman races, right. The oh my gosh. World triathlons and it was endurance racing that helps me crystallize this concept of hustling, and and I love sport because it's a great metaphor for life and and for selling especially, and when I think of hustling, what I think of is moving with a sense of urgency, always, kind of moving the ball forward with whatever your end is in mind. So in large deal sales, that end in mind sometimes is getting to that next sales stage, right? And 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 hustling is important because. If we don't move with a sense of urgency, buyers are very finicky. I remember not 10 years ago, if a customer wanted a large proposal, it was normal, you got a month, you got two months. And over time, that time period has shrunken. It is not uncommon now for somebody to say, hey, we just need a rough estimate and a proposal and we need it next week. And you might be talking about something that requires 15 to 20 resources, four levels of approval in your organization, Right. right? If you can't figure out how to move the ball metaphorically down the field or how to orchestrate a large complex team of stakeholders like that with enough urgency that you become prioritized they understand exactly what you're trying to accomplish with the customer or the prospect you won't get anywhere and we're i think i think companies are seeing that now companies very large companies are struggling to, to keep pace with this market demand of mm-hmm. i call it the amazon effect right here's my right. phone I can buy and, and right. we do it as consumers and enterprises have started consuming cloud services that way. Oh, let me go get, you know, it used to be, <laughs> I had to call my rep. Somebody would order me a server. They'd stand <laughs> it up in the data center. We'd, we'd ra- unbox it, rack it, stack right, it, right? Right, right, There was a process at Amazon and Google. They've made that push a button. Right. So that's shifting the expectation and creating less patience for people who want turnaround. So if you cannot move quickly, you will not be successful. But there's this concept of, you know, hustling in that I ground it in heart because you'll have to have good intentions because if you don't, right, you might end up with a, a big mess on your hands, right? And it's yeah. not about speed for speed's sake. Speed, accuracy, and intention have got to be aligned. Um, and that's a tough thing to pull off. I and mean, I don't care if you're just selling one piece of software, right? Or a certain single product, single service, or something complex. The agility that is needed um, to de- keep pace with today's business, I think, is underestimated by a lot of this, I'm not going to say media noise, but a lot of this um, different perceptions or different interpretations of what this word hustle means. Yeah,
0: yeah, because I think, again, I we're, we're the revenue hustle here, and I think the idea that hustle equals urgency I think is, I I don't know that I've heard it described that way. Um, So I I do love that And and because, you know, most times hustle feels like I got to make a thousand cold calls today. I have to uh, stay up from 10 a, you know, from sun up till midnight, grinding my way through everything that I need to grind through. And I'll do it every day, seven days a week. And I may die as a result, right? Like that's, that's, I think what the connotation is. And you're not saying that I think the urgency is, you know the customer has urgency we have to match or exceed their expectations as it results to urgency exactly. and in your world where it requires a lot of different opinions to put the proposal together and approvals you know you've got to get the machine to move you know yeah. at least in software and a lot of times again the deals aren't that complex so you can you know operate a little bit more autonomously whereas you've got to get you know A lot of different people and resources and everything else kind of plugged into that so um i really like that idea of hustle is urgency um and i say that to my team as a small company is like people choose to work with small companies for a couple of reasons one we can be more innovative and we move a whole lot faster so we can't for a second take our foot off the urgency you know if they email us call us like they expect a response sooner than you know sending it into the corporate portal of you know support yeah. at some big big coat you know
1: absolutely and if i can underpin it even further to me it's not just speed but it's agility because they're two slightly different things you know in the athlete world if you were playing you know field hockey or soccer um you know the agility is when the coach is like all right you got to stand on your." Or even volleyball my wife is a, a teenage coaches, teenagers in volleyball, right? They got to stand on their front feet and they got to be ready to react, right. which is the way it's coming. And so what that means applied in the services world is right. Maybe, perhaps customer wants X and the way all of your stakeholders interpretate X is they're price shopping. That's not really, they don't really want X. They're just wanting a proposal, right? There's all of these different interpretations of that one thing. Yeah. And your job as salesperson is to know, right? Well, is that really X? And if it is really X, how do I get all of these other stakeholders on board? And that takes that hustle and agility because you have to be able to reposition, right? What that means and get their buy-in even just to move forward. And so it's, right. it's acting quickly, but also being, um, my phrase that I use all the time is uh, steady vision, flexible means, right? If that's the deal you wanna go after and you have that relationship with the customer, you've gotta have flexibility in how you approach it with all of your different stakeholders, right? Or it could be cut down. And so that could mean adapting your message. That could mean, you know, planting the seed with these different people before you go back to find out that X is, right? There's nothing better sometimes than, you know, the finance guy says, well, we're not doing it unless they say X. You're like, great, I'm having that meeting today. Come and join me and hear it for them directly, right? So you're constantly selling on both sides, but having speed and agility as you're underpinning, right? right? While you are steady in your vision, but flexible how you get there.
0: No, that's great. And, um, you know, I think that, that, that it goes with the heart because I think it kind of goes back to what you're talking about, the service, right? Like yeah. service is, you know, heart led at the end of the day, right? You're, you're putting other people ahead of yourself, right? Um, there are intentions and goals ahead of my own, right? And, and okay. um, is that, is that the right interpretation? Kind of that heart and service all kind of coming together.
1: It's intention, it's integrity, and it, it and it's caring. One of my favorite Maya Angelou quotes says Maya Angelou said, You know, people will never forget what you said. People will forget what you said. Excuse me. People will forget what you said. They will forget what you did, but they will never forget how you made them feel.
0: Yeah. That I heard
1: feeling, that. that intrinsic goodness, that's heart. And if I apply that to sales as service, right, and, and leadership, there's just like there's an infinite way you can sell, there are an infinite number of definitions and models of leadership. Um, one specific model that I love by Charles Feltman defines a model for trust, and it's based on four factors. Um, and of the four factors, which I won't I'm go, go through the whole thing right now, he says, if any three of those are missing, but caring is there, trust can remain. Mm. People want to know that you care, whether it's your prospect, whether it's a team, whether it's a colleague, and so that's why to me, like, if you're moving quickly and you're acting with good intentions, like there's that integrity piece and you're doing it from a pure heart that you care. Those are the people, the sellers that are able to move mountains.
0: Yeah, no, that is great. Um, wow. So again, hit it out of the park. Um, thank you for sharing that. And 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 we got yeah. some quotes to, to take down too. So that was um That was awesome. So tell us a little bit, Jamie, how you got into sales.
1: It's a very open-ended question, Um, and and I'm happy to. My career path to selling services was completely non-traditional. I started my career selling on the stages uh, behind the closed doors of America's greatest strip clubs. That's the tagline. I actually published a book this summer that shares that part of my story that had been a a secret for a long time. Um, But I'm sharing it because it's important. Right. Um, You know, many people would hear my story of, you know, graduate high school at 16, you know, scholarship kid early, hard charging on my way to vet school. And I lost my academic scholarship and, you know, dancing allowed me to stay in college, but I don't do anything small. So I didn't just stay at the local club as a house dancer going through school. I ended up um, finding a mentor. She was North America's most published centerfold at the time. Um, And she took me on tour with her to tour the circuit. So I learned how to build a business as an adult feature entertainer at 19. And I say that's the start of my sales career because our biggest revenue streams were not table dances, lap dances, you know, club fees. It was all the merchandise we sold. Huh. It was golf towels, it was baseball caps, it was, you know, autographed pictures and then we would package them up, right? And have different taglines for them. And so I really credit that world with not just, you know, Teaching me a lot, but there were definite gaps I had in socialization and communication and self worth that I found in a very non traditional environment, largely through the conversations I had with customers who happened to be a lot of different levels of businessmen.
0: Wow, that is non traditional. So, how did you get, how did you, how did you, I guess, go from there to B2B world?
1: Sure. Um, I had just, I was still dancing in New York city and, uh, this time as a house dancer, no longer feature. And I knew it was sort of a a dead end track. I always knew this was not my forever, even though for a little while I thought it was my calling in life. (laughs) It was pretty clear on that. Uh, and one of the books I had just finished reading was, um, making friends and influencing people.
0: Uh, That's one of my favorite books.
1: Yeah. Awesome book. And so as I'm, you know, descending the stairs to flash dancers and going down this business, I had one of those, you know, life altering epiphanies as you do in moments. And I said, all right, well. If I'm not going to dance for cash anymore because I realized if I hadn't set limits on how long I was there in the cash I'd stay forever but I couldn't just ditch it because in the dancer world you have to pay every night and there's all these fees if you just don't show up so I'm like all right I gotta finish my shift for the next couple weeks what else does this club offer me and I was like oh my god this is like a club full of self-made businessmen in New York City what an incredible petri dish I'm gonna see if I you know I have my book in my dance bag I'm gonna find mentors I don't care how much money I make for the next couple weeks I'm going to find mentors. And that night I just started asking people in, in an even deeper way. Like I knew what my customers or regulars did. I knew somebody owned a chain of mortgages and somebody else was an attorney, right? You, you knew all of that, but I came in with this question and I said, okay, if, if, if I took you up because people had offered me jobs many times, and I never took them. I said if you were serious about, you know, XYZ job, like would you be willing to mentor me? Like I want to be self-made. How did you first make your money? And I started hearing all these different stories um, and I eavesdropped on a table of three guys that were celebrating something. They talked about a previous visit, so I kind of inserted myself as if I knew them, even though I didn't. And they were celebrating getting their first, uh, their Series C funding uh, for their startup. And it's a tech startup. Yep. And uh, we exchanged information and learned pretty quickly. They were part of the founding executive team of hotjobs.com, right? That's, that, that's scaled to a two-way database, yep. right? The whole recruiting cycle and yep. private label yep. software into HR recruiting. And their next venture was to build the same type of database portal for casinos. They were gonna help uh, casino customers view the 360 information on their players independently. Um, I knew nothing about casinos. I knew nothing about database marketing, but it sounded very exciting. And so I said, I wanna work, I wanna intern for you. And they gave they said, great, show up tomorrow at 9 a.m. And so I worked my shift that night Went home and quickly Googled interview appropriate tire, didn't get it quite right. (laughs) because living in New York City, there's all these places in the garment district that sell clothes, like sample clothes. Yeah. I "I know, I'll go there and get a sample suit. Only years later did I realize that sample suit was probably more appropriate for mother of a bride in a Spanish wedding (laughs) than an interview. You know, blue rhinestones and all went in and, and that was it, right? So I became employee number three at a database marketing startup in New York City. And then got the opportunity for the next six years as they grew and scaled to take on bigger and bigger roles um working under a group of cios who had formerly come from the tech world right so that was my first if you will business job um and then in true kind of fashion like i never really looked back but where my career got really interesting is from 2007 to 2011 because mind you i i hadn't finished college at that time i was working in my associates Six years at at Valley Nivalt, the startup. I went back and finished my degree, my undergrad degree. And when I came out, it was the worst recession since the Great Depression, right, pre-COVID. And Vegas got hit really hard. So for the next three and a half years, I got laid off four times. Wow. What, but what was really cool? It, you would think it would be hard, but because I've stepped backwards and forwards so many times in my life, and I'm a salesperson at heart, I was and came through. Was a startup that had been funded by, you know, the hot job guys. Like I knew yeah. recruitment inside and out. I knew database inside and out. I knew how to sell. So each time I got a new job, um, I was able to double my income, double my responsibility. And in those three years, you know, experienced a five-fold increase in income and, and from selling, right, outdoor advertising and things with a very low price point to these massive IT services deals.
0: Wow. No, that's, what a story. Um, and, and now you know, you describe what you're doing at Unisys. And and so uh, what a transformation. And so thank you for sharing that. Uh, where can we follow you online?
1: Uh, Jamie Conselman on LinkedIn. I also have a website. We're ramping up JamieConselman.com. So yeah, follow me, get in touch. Um, you know, would love to hear from you. And my new book is now selling on Amazon.
0: And what's the name of the book?
1: It's titled Dealmaker. And the tagline is finding myself behind the closed doors of America's greatest strip clubs.
0: Fantastic. Well, thank you, Jamie, for coming on to The Revenue Hustle and sharing your story and your two revenue rules. I've certainly enjoyed this conversation. Um, I've taken a page and a half full of notes. Um, So I'm excited to share this with the rest of the community. So thanks again. And uh, let's do it again soon.
1: I love it. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Happy holidays.
0: Thank you. You too. Thank you for tuning in to The Revenue Hustle. This episode has been brought to you by Nine Lenses, close more deals with interactive assessments. Check them out at 9lenses.com. See you next time.